Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer and then dive in. God, we just thank you for this amazing day and the day not because of it's a calendar, but because of who you are and what you have done on this day that we celebrate your resurrection. Every one of us will die, but you, oh God, came back and defeated death. And we thank you so much uh, for all that you're doing in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, you could just pick any gospel to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but today we'll start with Mark chapter 16. And we're going to actually just sit in Mark 16 today, so you don't have to flip a lot. Um, If you don't have a Bible, it's okay, Uh, Josh. Um, is unbelievably great under pressure, and I just told him Mark 16 as I'm stalling. Um, so Mark 16 will be on, on the screen above my head. Uh, you can also, if you have a Bible app, you can go from there too. Look at that. Jesus, just a champ. Mark 16, verse 1. Let's start this. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, and they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified, for he is risen. He is not there. See the place where they have laid him, but go And tell the disciples and Peter, I love that, side note, we'll go there, and he was going, that that he is going before you into Galilee where you will see him as he said to you. So they left quickly and fled from the tomb and they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. One thing I like to do is to take uh, a scripture passage, not a verse, but a passage of scripture like this now, and we'll give some context to what's actually going on as we, as we digress. But uh, real quick, the ladies uh, come to this moment in verse 2 and 3, if you can flip back to me, verse 2 and 3, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They said to themselves, who will roll away this stone for us? This stone is not pebbles, this is not... Uh, a, a fake thing that you would see at a store. Um, this stone would approximately weigh about 2,000 pounds. Now, uh, obviously, by this godlike physique that you stand here, I work out on a regular basis. Um, but uh, I can't move 2,000 pounds. I, I, I can't. Uh, I'm not the best at math anyways, but we'll go with it. That's roughly if they just happen to get proper weight displacement, what's that, like 660 a person, 665 a person? That's still a lot of weight per woman to push. Not only would they have an issue with the stone that they couldn't roll away, but then there's this, you know, menacing armed guards guarding the tomb. There's this moment where they're realizing that as we approach the tomb, one, there is a stone, then there are guards. And even if we can sneak up and we can judo chop the guards and knock them down, then we can go and push this stone away. Then we can gather ourselves back together and anoint Jesus' body, sneak back out, push the stone back, shake them alive so that no one steals his body and sneak back away. 
I, I love, the, you remember the old A-team, but I don't feel like Hannibal came up with this plan. The thing is that they knew they had an obstacle before them, but the desire to be next to Jesus was greater than any obstacle they perceived. And this is where we find ourselves at the beginning of this Easter story is this, is how much do we want to be close to Jesus? One thing I feel like the world has done well, but the church has done horrible at is this. The church has done a horrible job with this whole idea and notion that if I serve God, that if I love God, that if I do everything for God, then life will be easy. Can I tell you one of the most painful decisions you will ever make is serving Jesus. I'm not the best salesman, as you can tell. I'm not trying to sell you into serving Jesus. I'm letting you know what you're getting in for. Because the Bible says that don't be alarmed that the world hates you because it hated me too. This idea that just because we serve Jesus that everything's going to be okay is not a reality. In fact, can I tell you, the closer you get to Jesus, more likely the bigger the obstacles come. One thing that I know is this, is that some of the greatest gifts that God has for me are beyond some of the greatest giants that I will face. Let me put it this way. There is no prize without a little bit of pain. The greater the resistance, the greater the reward. I'll put it this way, the more that life discourages me into something, the more excited I should be. Why? Because the enemy can't stop you. That's the big thing right here, is that if he could kill you, you'd already be dead. A few weeks ago, Dad and I went to a movie, and uh, we went to go watch just an you know, I like to watch things get blown up. Any, any, anybody with me on this one? I like a good gunfight. I'm, I'm a big fan of some just action movies. Uh, we don't go watch scary movies, mainly because I'm a pansy, but that's besides the point. So we are going with the mindset of watching an action movie. And what are all of our previews? I kid you not, like an eight-year-old little girl, I'm covering my eyes because they are some of the craziest horror movies that are soon to come out, which I know some of you guys are into, and we're praying for your salvation on a regular basis. But what's happening is that it's, it's demonic after demonic, like these demon possessions, and, and, and all of a sudden they can just like do this, and people fly against the wall. Can I tell you that's not true? You've, you've seen people possessed. I've seen people possessed. And, and if we can be just very candid, the American demons are just weak. Now, when I went to Jamaica and we've gone to Mexico, we've seen some crazy stuff. But by and large, the stuff we see here are the rejects that couldn't make it in the powerful areas. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, though, he can't kill you or you'd be dead. How about this? He can't stop you or you'd have been stopped. How about this? The only thing that can stop you from reaching Jesus is you. Let's backtrack for a The night before, they went to sleep and Jesus was dead. 
they wake up in the morning, and the first thing that they're going through their mind is, we got to go take care of his body. Did the stone magically go? No, they, they knew from the moment they woke up that the stone was there. They knew from the moment they went to bed and made plans to get together that there was armed guards there. Did you know that the only person that knew that Jesus was gone at that moment was the devil telling them to stay in bed? By this moment, Jesus had already resurrected and left, and the entire time that's peppering their minds, turn around, there's a stone, turn around, there's some guards, turn around, there's a stone, turn around, there's a guard, is the one person who knows there is no stone, there is no guards, and Jesus is gone. The entire time he is lying to you, and he's lying to these women to try to get you to stop yourself from moving in a direction. The greatest thing is this is that the battle is already won. So get in the fight. That's the greatest news right now. It's not that the struggle, it's not that the hardship, it's that you have already won, but you don't know you've already won. Like I said, I, I like a good fighting movie, but I also like to watch UFC and some old school, you know, cage matches. I uh, pray for my salvation. It's whatever. But some of the funniest things are like the UFC fails, and, and we're, these guys are in these fights, and especially if it's amateurs. Like, you're not, not the pros, but these guys are just fighting, whatever. And I watched this guy. He has got his eyes closed, and he's just swinging haymaker after haymaker trying to knock this guy out. Well, the guy knocks out. He just doesn't know he's knocked out. And then he swings again and knocks out the ref. And everyone's screaming at him. He's just swinging away. And this is kind of the reaction that, that we have at this moment is that our eyes are closed and you don't know you've already won the fight. The battle's done. It's walking through it. Can I tell you? God knows you've won. The devil knows you've won. You just got to keep pushing. You got to get the spirit of Dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep, like you got you to just keep going forward. And I love this, that these ladies don't do this by themselves. It's three ladies that are, are approaching something. And I think that speaks to the power of what this is on a Sunday, and that is community. There's no way I would be here today if I didn't have community like this. If I didn't have fellow brothers and sisters telling me to get out of bed. I, I, I feel like if it was just one of the Marys, or if it was just one of these ladies, that, that maybe, just maybe, they would have woke up and go... What's the point? But when there's power and community, it leads us to get up and do something together. You will never accomplish anything for God if you don't connect with one another. You will never do anything great trying to be a Lone Ranger. And these ladies would have stayed in bed, could have stayed home, and we would have not had the same story we have now of the resurrection of Jesus. But because of community, they rise each other up, they go to walking with each other, and then they start talking to each other to keep moving forward. How about this? The stone was rolled away, the guards were already gone, but they kept staring at their feet because it says, and when they lifted their eyes, they saw it was already done. 
Maybe it's about time we stop looking at the ground with every step that we take, full of shame, full of issues of our past, full of all the problems that we're dealing with, full of all the discouragement of what's going on, through all the texting, through all the messages, through all the TikTok, through all the Snapchat, whatever issues that have been attacking you from your work to your family to your friends to your enemies, and you lift your eyes and you'll see, my God, the things that I'm worried about are already taken care of. Because if we can get our eyes off of our feet and lift our eyes up, you'll see where your help is. And that's already done. On this Easter Sunday, we're reminded of the power of Jesus. Was he a teacher? Yeah. The best teacher there ever was. But he was more than just a teacher. Was he a prophet? More accurate than any prophet who has ever lived. But he was more than just a prophet. Was he a healer? My God, he healed so many people from the blind eyes to the deaf ears to the lame to everyone getting uh, raised from the dead. It's unbelievable. He was more than just a healer. Could he preach? My God, he could preach. But he was more than just a preacher. Today, what we're, we're, we're realizing more and more that's true today, more than any other day, is that he is not just these things, but that he is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the first among brethren. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is not dead, but is very much alive, who sits at the right hand of the Father and is continually advocating on your behalf. Man, I love what, uh, i got to read this, what John Obrick said. Jesus is the hinge of history. He is the hope for the oppressed. He is the inspiration for the dying. He is the king of kings, lord of lords, the greatest who ever lived, the greatest mind who ever thought. He is the central figure of the greatest movement that has ever spread. He offered the greatest gift ever given. He alone masters what it means to be alive, yet still has the power to overcome what it means to be dead. He is the victorious king. Mm. I love a good Easter message. It's an exciting time to know that we have a God that is not dead We have a God that is not enshrined somewhere, but that is alive. But then I started thinking about this passage in Mark chapter 16. And this, the first Easter message ever preached wasn't by Peter and it wasn't by Paul. It wasn't by one of the great disciples or the great apostles. The first Easter message ever preached was by an angel. The first thing that we need to understand is a little bit of backstory and that the week leading up to this, the disciples had just quite a crazy week. It starts off with Jesus riding into town on a donkey very peaceably with people tearing down palm fronds and, and yelling Hosanna and laying their cloaks down. And Jesus is riding in on an unbroken uh, uh, colt that is just mind-blowing by itself that he didn't get bucked off and lays lays themselves down, and he rides into town all the way to the temple. He wakes up the next morning, gets hungry, curses a fig tree, goes into the temple, flips over the money changers, ticks everybody off, goes and has dinner with his friends. A woman shows up with a jar of anointing oil, of oil, perfume, and breaks it open, pours it all over him. His closest friend, one of his closest friends, Judas, is like, this is stupid. In that moment, he decides that he's going to betray Jesus. 
can tell you how many times I thought what Jesus has done is stupid and my ideas were better. And this is kind of what Judas is doing here. Then they go and have dinner. Jesus washes their feet. He lets them know numerous times, I'm going to die. This is coming. This is happening. Every one of the disciples, is it I that will betray you? And Judas even asks in front of everybody. Judas goes off to betray Jesus. I, I, I love this. As Judas leaves, they finish the meal and they get up and leave the table and they cross over the valley of Kidron to go into the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what's crazy is this. There's no announcement that they're going to be doing this. Which tells me this. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed and had to tell his betrayer who knew he was betraying him in advance, this is where we'll be. I'm giving you the opportunity not only to betray me, but I'm going to tell you where I am going to be at. It says Judas knew what part of the Garden of Gethsemane because in verse 2 of John chapter 16, it says Jesus went there quite often. So in other words, Jesus is taking the one he knew who was going to betray him to the spot where he would be betrayed over and over and over again so that this one betrayer could get it burned into his head where to go when the time needed to be done. And we're going to sit there and wonder if I make a mistake, will he forgive me? Yet he's constantly preparing for this moment. It's the same path that Jesus took when he was getting ready to be betrayed that David took when his son betrayed him. When David's son Absalom raised up the army against David, David ran the exact same path that Jesus just ran. After the time of David... It's later on called like the Valley of Jehoshaphat because later on in life they turned it into a hot spot for some of the best places to be buried. And I, and I find it ironic that the one who is about to raise the dead is walking over the graves that same night. And I'm wondering as he's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you can just let me just add into my own self, if he's looking, because the Bible says that when he came back, Others came back with him back to the life. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't just Jesus that day. He brought others back to life that same day. And I wonder if he's looking and going, he's coming. She's coming. He's coming. And he's just looking at who's all going to come back with him. Jesus walks to this place to get betrayed by his brethren. Brings the soldiers. The soldiers go to attack him. Who is this Jesus? He says it's I. They black out. He has to now wait for them to gain consciousness to be arrested. They wake up. Peter's like, are we going or what? Uh, yeah. Takes a guy's ear off. Jesus is like, now i got to heal somebody. I, I think about, we just blow through this. He could have escaped. He waits. Hey, guys. Come on. Wake up. They wake up. What happened? You're supposed to arrest me now. Now I've got to put somebody's ear back together. Lays his hand on the guy's ear. The ear comes back on. Jesus is escorted now to the synagogue. 
Mind you, these are the same people that are angry at him. And why are they angry at him? Because just a few days ago, he flipped over the money changers' tables and showed that they don't have the power that they wish they did have. It's all about power. It's all about control. So they beat him. Are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? He stays silent. So they beat him some more. They spit on him. I think I'd rather take a punch in the face than somebody spitting on me. They take him to Pilate. Pilate's like, I guess you didn't beat him enough. Let's beat him some more. He, he, he has him beat and whipped to a place where you could see his bones, where you could see his ligaments. You could see all of the skin is ripped off of him. They mock him by putting a crown of thorns, thorns on his head. They put a, a robe on him. They mock him. They hit him. They spit on him. Then they make him stand before everybody to be yet again rejected by the people he's trying to save. They put him on a cross, which he has to carry uphill. And his body is so exhausted, he collapses and has to have somebody else finish the, the, the carry. They nail him to the cross, and they watch him at any given moment. Come on, Jesus, do something. And his disciples and his mom and all these women and all these men are watching. Do something like you've always done. And he does nothing but die. So I don't blame them for having an emotional time. The week leading up to this, the disciples were completely distraught. They had no idea what's going on. So when the ladies approached the tomb without the men, why would they come? Because everything is not happening the way it should be happening. For three years, they spent time with Jesus, eating with Jesus, ministering with Jesus, living with Jesus, walking with Jesus. And for three years, they had their lives completely transformed. And in a moment's notice, Everything changed. And that's how life is for many of us, is that we have this idea of how things are going to go, and it seems like there's a moment that changes everything, and we have a choice. Do we fall back on the words that he was telling them, or do we give it all up? <clears throat> One of the Gospels says that as the ladies arrived, while it was still dark, I love that. That God doesn't wait for the sunlight to come back. He doesn't wait for everything to be perfect to come back. He, he came back while it was still dark. Before they even opened their eyes to begin their path, he already was awakened. He has already come back. And God's resurrection power has a way of showing up in my darkest of my nights. The moment where I think there's no way he could ever love me, he shows up. The moments where I think I've done everything wrong and I've messed it up to the nth degree is when he shows up the, 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 the brightest. Christ chooses to get out of a grave in the darkest moments. Because no matter what life throws at us, and no matter how dark it gets in this world, he already has the power to come back. He already has the power to do what he needs to do while he's doing it. And I'm so grateful that these women did this. For mighty women of faith. I'm so grateful that they came and they experienced all of this. That they could, they could peek into this tomb and see an angel and have this conversation with him. I love the poeticness of that, 
when Jesus shows up at the earth, there's an angelic announcement. And as Jesus exits the earth, there's an angelic announcement. He shows up with flair. And in your life and in my life, he shows up with flair. If there's not a big moment of turning around of your life with Jesus, then I question what's going on with my life with Jesus. If my life is just the same as it is today as it was when I'm doing drugs, when I'm getting drunk, when I'm sleeping around, when I'm doing all of these things, if my life is just the same then as it is now, then where is this resurrection of Jesus? Where is this power? Can I tell you something? He comes into your life with change, and he constantly is bringing about great change. The angel shows up and says, hey, I got good news for you. The first Easter message, he has four things he wants to tell these women. The first thing is this. Don't be alarmed. First words of his Easter sermons. Chill out. You know, angels had that ability continually when they would appear. Everybody chill. Don't be afraid. Calm down. Don't be anxious. Why? Can you imagine, if you read Daniel or Revelation, they're not fat little babies that float around. And I don't care. If a fat little baby just appears floating overhead, I'm still going to mess myself. Like, I don't, I don't care. But according to what I've read, angels are big guys. They're no slouches. So can you imagine somebody, let's just add in, Six foot six, six foot seven, 200 pounds of muscles with a flaming sword just appears. Are you not going to cry for your mom? I will. Not because she can save me, but I can go take her. Um, no, it's just. <laughs> I ain't got to be faster than him, just faster than you. And, 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 and that's the thing you've got to realize is that they would be like, hey, everything's okay. Everything's okay. 2,000 years later, that's still going on. I, I, I want you to hear me when Jesus still to this day preaching these words that this angel is saying is don't be alarmed we live in a world that is constantly pushing fear down our throats we live in a world that seems to always be on the verge of collapse and if it's going to be a monetary system if it's going to be another war if it's going to be a new disease if it's going to be just the end of times my word if you watch the history channel they'll tell you why we're going to get blown away by asteroids on a regular basis i'm like how is this history I don't understand what's going on. We're walking through a life and a world that is continually telling us, be scared. Because scared people do scared people things. We don't think. Don't be alarmed, he says. And I love what Psalms tells us is that no matter what, I will fear no evil for Thou art with me. <clears throat> One of the greatest things about Jesus coming back to life is that he is with me. I'm not living life alone. In my own strength, I should be petrified of this world. But with him, I have no reason to have fear. You might be anxiously looking for a job, but God's not alarmed. You might be looking for a relationship, but he's not alarmed. You might be going through a lot of things, but he is not alarmed. Hmm. I love that he keeps preaching. He says, don't be alarmed. Second thing he says, you're looking for Jesus. (coughs) 
2,000 years later, those words remain just as true as don't be afraid because you're looking for Jesus. They came to anoint his body, but you continually are searching for him. There's a missing piece inside of you. Whether you're religious or not, whether you attend church or not, or whether this is your first time or your last time, here's what I want you to hear, is that the deepest longings of your soul are for Jesus. Everyone in this room is searching for something. They're seeking for something. And deep inside, Jesus is the answer. Maybe you're searching for love, acceptance, joy, peace. You're looking for something. And the question isn't, are we searching for something? Is Do you even know what you're looking for? Have you ever found yourself standing in front of the pantry or the refrigerator going, what am I doing? Like, there's something in you that got you off the couch and you walked inside and you're like, I don't know. (laughs) How about this? I've stood in front of the refrigerator so long it starts dinging at me, like, make a decision. Like, come on, bro, like, we're letting out, you know, air here. But only Jesus can satisfy you. Some people say, if I get a new house, that will satisfy me. If I can get a new car, that'll satisfy me. If I can have a new relationship, that will satisfy me. If I can have a new outfit, that will satisfy me. If I can have more followers, that will satisfy me. If I can have more friends, that will satisfy me. If I can get a new job, that will satisfy me. If I can get rid of my husband, that will satisfy me. I don't know what you're looking for, but Jesus is what we're longing for. The third thing he says, he is risen. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because he doesn't just sneak back out. It's a big deal because he is risen means that he is alive today. Contextually, for those people, there was a continual debate. Is there a resurrection or is there not a resurrection? And I love this is that Jesus just shows to everyone there is. And how about this? It's not on your timetable, but it's on mine. He does what he does because he is who he is. God is not moved by war. God is not moved by sin. He is not moved by any political office. He is not moved by any kind of disease. There is nothing that man can do that can move God. Yet, I find myself continually having the ability to be moved and persuaded by men's things. And if you can hold on to the fact that he is risen, it means this. He is bigger than any problem that you could face. Because there's nothing I would imagine that is bigger than dying. You don't come back from that. But he did. You can lose your job and get another one. You can lose a house and get another one. You can lose money and get some more money in. And you can lose all kinds of things and get them back. But when you lose your life, it's done. But Jesus says, even in that context, I'm not done. 
There is nothing that is too big. And we are surrounded in a world that doesn't make sense. There's oppression in our world that doesn't make sense. There's famine in our world that doesn't make sense. We live in a world where gas prices are three-something. That doesn't make sense. We live in a world where Alabama beat Tennessee beat Alabama. That doesn't make sense. That's how you know he's coming back. Right there. That should be something. This world is upside down. 20-something years. Like What is going on? The fundamental problem is that the enemy wants to tell us that what he wants will happen when he wants. And I love this. Hey, don't be scared. You're searching for Jesus. He is risen. But that's not all he does. He comes back through with power. Now that he is back, he has power over death. He has newness that is able to be transferred. He has these things that we never had before. But the second thing we have to understand when it comes to that he is risen is this, is that he doesn't come limping out the grave. He's not dragging a foot. He's not like Frodo when he comes back. He's like, what just happened? He's cu- he came through with power. Power enough to roll back a 2,000-pound stone by himself. To knock these guards unconscious and still just do what he wants to do. When he wants to do it. Death can't hold him back. Sin can't hold him back. Hell couldn't hold him back. He had one mission and one mission alone, and that was to get back so that he could make a way for you. Don't be alarmed. You're searching for Jesus, and he's risen. Last thing he says, as he told you. In other words, God's word is trustworthy. Jesus told them over and over again that he was going to die. Like he said, I'm coming back. No, 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 Jesus. I'll die with you. I'll do whatever it takes. Peter, you're going to betray me three times. No, I would never do that. I'd take somebody's head off before I do that. Swing and a miss. I'm going to die, Jesus. We would never. There's no way. You've got so much power. I'm going to die. No, 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 no. You can't. Can I tell you, Jesus is trustworthy in his word. And I love it that he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. And if he said he's going to do something, he's going to do something. I love that Jesus burst through the grave with power, just like he said he would. Jesus did everything just as he said he would. And if he could do what he said back then, he can do what he says now. And he's just as trustworthy today as he was at that moment in history. And when he makes a promise, he'll fulfill it. And when he tells you that he's with you, he's with you. And that when he tells you he's for you, he's for you. And that when he's doing all of these things, people, he is for you consistently and without repentance. He says, if you follow me, you will truly live. If you follow me, you will have peace. 
and joy. If you surrender your life to Jesus, you will be rescued when you humble yourself. You'll find yourself that you'll be great when you find yourself in the least. If you receive his love, you will be saved and he will never leave you nor forsake you. God's word can be trusted just as he said. God's word comes to pass. And when I think about my own journey and how I got here, it's because God's word continues to maintain strength. In a moment where my parents were on the verge of divorce, living in two different states, God's word remained true. I wasn't even born yet, and there was a chance that I never would have been, but because I had a praying aunt who had a word from God, she leads my mom to the Lord at church. Simultaneously, my dad, mind you, this is before FaceTime, this is before cell phones, they are still in a horse and buggy, I think. And at the same time, dad is having an encounter with God. God ministers to my dad, and my dad gets his heart right with God. They reconcile and have just the most amazing son possible. His name is Baron. I was before him. <laughs> And I wish I could say that because of the miracle that happened in their lives, I lived a life that was worthy of it, but I didn't. I sinned. I ran. I did everything I could possibly do to discredit myself from being before you today. But you know what's crazy is that his word remains true even when I don't. His word remains strong even when I don't. He's the kind of God that will lead his betrayer to a spot to betray him so that he can be betrayed to be with you. And this is how the apostle says with, with hope looking forward, he was able to endure the cross. He wasn't looking forward to being crucified because of the pain. In fact, when he looks and says, God, if there's any other way, Father, take it away. If there's any other options, take it away. Mind you, he's standing in a place where there's a hidden path for him to escape, and he knows it. If there's any other way, I could go out that way. If there's any other way, I could just call down a legion and drop all these guards. If there's any other way, I could do, but not my will, but your will be done, God. Why? Because you were more important today having this moment than he was being comfortable while he was still in flesh. The pain he was about to physically, emotionally, and spiritually endure was less than the pain of not living eternity with you. That's the God we serve. And you're here today, and I mind you, every single one of us, according to Romans, all of us have sinned. Every last one of us. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have done bad things. All of us have been heartbroken. All of us have broken hearts. All of us have lied, and all of us have been lied to. All of us have done things that we are not proud of and things that we are proud of. And it only takes one sin to contaminate our soul. It only took one of us one time. But because of who Jesus was, he came back to the earth. He rescued. He was what's called the second Adam to restore everything wrong that we have always done. 
And it doesn't take much. You don't have to climb across. You don't have to take a beating. You don't have to do anything bizarre. The Bible tells us that if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, if we confess with our mouth these things, then you are saved. You are part of the family of God. One of those things is that you never have to worry again. Will you worry again? I'm sure you will. But you don't have to. You never have to struggle in life again. Will you? I'm sure you will because we're flesh. and We will. But you don't have to. You never have to give up again. Will you? Possibly. But you don't have to. You never have to sin again because His Spirit is inside of you. Will you? You absolutely will. But you know what's great? He doesn't look at you and go, what a waste. I'm playing the piano. My, my daughter looks distraught. I did, couldn't figure out why she looked so distraught, but she did look distraught. I'm like, what is going on? So I'm playing going, what happened? You were happy when you came in, and now you're not. It's whatever. McKenna's an emotional child sometimes, so it's, it's just life. And I come off stage, she goes, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, this ought to be good. That's the first words. Dad, I'm sorry. Okay? Hit me with it. So Malachi, I'm like, no, 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 no. What happened? The iPad shattered. Her iPad shattered. I'm like, well, that's good. I... I gave an iPad to an eight-year-old who, mind you, is not the most responsible child. She's like me. But I wasn't so foolish that I didn't get a protection plan for her iPad. She is concerned that when Ira is doing the offering that I'm going to beat her on the front row for breaking an iPad. But what she didn't know is that I already had a plan for this moment. I already had it covered knowing what she would eventually do. And if I am that forthright in my thinking and I can have that much insight into her life, how much more has he had in your life? That if I would prepare a way before there was a need for a need that would come, how much more has Jesus looked at your life and go, I'm preparing a way now even before you need it. I've already given you my blood for a sin you've yet to commit. I've already forgiven you now for things you have even done yet. I've already given you an opportunity to have restoration before you even had the opportunity to betray. That's the power of our Jesus. But you know what the enemy wants to do? His power is stay in your seat. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. Maybe he forgave you the last 25 times, but on the 26th time, you can't still be sorry. There's no way. Yeah, maybe you, you felt bad six months ago, but you don't feel bad now. Not as bad as you used to be. You're growing kind of numb. There's shame, or how dare you? He would never. There's no way he could forgive. Would you forgive yourself? I wouldn't forgive you. There is a protection plan already enacted into your life. And you know what's great? I got the protection plan before I gave her the gift. 
while it was still wrapped in its protective box, before I gave the gift, I went, I need to prepare a way when this will happen. Because it's going to happen. And when you receive the gift of Jesus, and you receive the gift of His Spirit, it's an exciting moment, but I want you to understand He's already brought in the protection plan for when you need a second round, a third round, a fourth round. You know what's great? She can break this iPad every single day and get a restoration one. I'm going to take it away. She's not responsible, but it's okay. When something breaks, like when you break your life, like I have done, when you break who you are, like I have done, when you are, 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 are continually doing things or have done things that have broken things down, like I have done, it's okay. Not because, oh, it's no big deal, but because he already made a way. And this is what repentance comes in. When I confess, when I believe, when, when I accept him, I have the ability to go, God, I want to apply the warranty coverage on my life. I want to apply and undo everything that I just did. I want to be made brand new yet again. I know I've already received you as my Lord and Savior, but man, I have messed this iPad up. I have messed this life up. I, I, I need a restoration right now, Jesus. And so when we look at people and say, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time? Receive the gift. But when I look at you and also say, do you need a restoration plan? It's available too. At no cost to you. You know what I have to do? I have to take my broken thing back to the person that can restore it. I, I can't fix this. You can't fix you. You have to take it back to the manufacturer. Everything that you have done wrong, you have to go back to God and say, here I am, God. Fix me. Because I can't do it. So let's pray. If you're with us today and you say, Pete, I've never received that gift. I've never received him as my Lord and Savior. And I want to on this Easter that he is alive and risen for me. And I want to publicly say, I received Jesus for the first time in my life. I want you just to throw your hand up. and we're, You're going to stay where you are, but I just want to see where you are. Great. Awesome. Amen. All right. Five more seconds. Five. Three. Wonderful. That's so great. If you're here and you say, Pete, I need woo, warranty coverage today in full effect. And on this resurrection Easter Sunday, I, I just want to look and say, Jesus, I want to go back to the manufacturer in this moment and restore all the broken pieces, fix everything that I have done wrong. God, I want to make my life right with you again. And if that's you, go ahead and throw that hand up. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Great, great, great. Five more seconds. Five. Yep, four, see them, put them down, three, you can put them down, two, anybody else? One, and go. So let's do this. Everybody just say this prayer with me. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, but there is this opportunity for us to kind of hear out of our own mouths a confession of faith. So let's do this. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I have done. You know things that I have forgotten about. Today, I apply your blood on my life. I ask you to restore me to your image. 
Forgive me of all my sins. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you're an advocate for me. And today, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Hey, hot dog. Amen. Kids are coming in. I'm going to ask the worship team to slide on up. Uh, we're going to, as the kids come and sit, we're going to go ahead and uh, pass out the elements of communion. <coughs> are they coming in, Mr. Ken? They're on their way. Awesome.
<clears throat> on the same night that he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. He instituted what we would call the elements of communion at the Last Supper. And what he ended up doing was something that we continue to do thousands of years later, not as a time filler, not as just a religious tradition, but something that is a moment for us to go back to remind ourselves of what he had done. Simple elements, bread and wine were before him. But those two simple elements meant the world because it was about to transpire in his life that his body was about to be broken and that his blood was about to be shed. And what he's saying to us today, as he did to them 2,000 years ago, is this. Is that when you do these things, remind yourself of why you're doing them. You're doing these things to remind yourself of what he has done. What this is, is a remembrance of a covenant. It's a remembrance of what he has done and what he will continue to do. The song that Andrew just said is that he would do it a hundred billion times. And he would do it over and over and over again because there is love, that there is grace, there is forgiveness, and there is peace. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, For when you received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, and we had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take this, eat my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we take this today. We are so thankful for what you have done and continue to do in our lives. When you broke your body for us, the healing, the, the forgiveness, everything that you have ever, ever, we ever would need was already provided for us, and we are so grateful and honored that you would continue to give yourself for us. So today we take this element in remembrance of you. Let's eat. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we just thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Jesus, we are so grateful that you didn't just hurt, but that you gave everything for us. The blood that washes away sin as a sacrifice, that you, the sacrificial lamb that you were once and for all as our high priest. We thank you for all that you have done in Jesus' name. Amen. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. We thank you that on this day, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Day, that we don't just remember our Lord passing as if we stayed at a tombstone. But today, God, we celebrate the life that has continued to live and for all who gave their lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter. We're so grateful that you came. We love you so very much. And we'll see you guys next Sunday. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 